Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwoman. Today's guest is Nicole Lappin, the New York Times bestselling author of Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch, and now the author of, and it's coming out, and I'm so excited, Becoming Superwoman. Uh, She takes us on an emotional journey of what it took to get her life back after she experienced this insane feeling of burnout. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm talking with Nicole Lappin, and we're going to get to this, but she has a superwoman tattoo on her arm, but it's in the most delicate, beautiful needle. Single needle. You went to that guy, that guy who's famous for his single needleness. Yeah, it was like a fancy fancy tattoo place where they were like, you're being a little picky right now. (laughs) Can we just get started? And I'm like, you're "Um, lucky to be here. (laughs) This is going to be on my arm forever. Yeah, I did it after your podcast. Oh, yay. That's so cool. And also my book. Yes. So you have several books. So let's let's rewind here. Can you tell us a little bit about your your life, your history? <laughs> Where are we starting, <laughs> sister? In the womb? In the womb. No, um, you, your journey, uh, where your wor- work got started and what you're doing now. Just yeah. that. I'm the least likely person to be a money expert or have written the books Rich Bitch, Boss Bitch, and now I have Becoming Superwoman. I grew up in an immigrant family. I'm first-generation American. I didn't have the Wall Street Journal on the kitchen counter. Nobody talked to me about stocks or bonds or any of that stuff. And I had a super broken home. My father died of a drug overdose when I was 11. My mother sort of pieced out. So I was on my own really early. And I started working. And I just took any job I could in local news. So we, can we stop there? You're father passed away, your mom pieced out. So who was the adult in the household? I was. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize actually how much trauma I had growing up. We're just getting real right now, right? Like we no just foreplay. Don't, we just like pulled back. There is no <laughs> foreplay. My husband was like, we need a little foreplay. I'm like, we don't have time for that, honey. We just got to do it because in about five minutes, a kid's going to wake up. Perfect. So go. So wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. So I... You know, that was the basis for now my third book, because ultimately when you self-prescribe work for so many years, it will come back and kick your ass. And for me, you know, maybe my next book will be a memoir or a Lifetime movie or something along those lines. But I needed to get comfortable with my narrative because for so long I tried to whitewash the story and make it sound like it was all rainbows and butterflies and perfect. So I was in local news for a long time. I went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Lexington, Kentucky. Like all these small markets where you work your way up. And then I got a job offer when I was 18 on the floor of the Chicago Merck. And they asked me if I knew anything about business news. I was like, absolutely. I love business news all day, every day. And I totally was lying and I faked it till I made it. So, yeah, that happened. And so so I figured out the language of money. And how did you figure it out that quickly, knowing you were going to be on air in a minute talking about money? And business. I realized that money is just a language like anything else. We just don't have a Rosetta Stone for that language. And I certainly didn't. I didn't learn it uh, growing up. My parents were like in and out of jail. There was no, you know, talk about stocks or bonds or anything organized with money. So I, you know, the only thing I knew about money was like cash. You know, my parents came from Israel and like a lot of immigrant families, that's how they pay for everything. And so I just, faked it till I made it. And then I got real and I, you know, spoke the language, then spoke it to the world. Um, 
And fast forward about a decade later, I didn't realize I would be teaching other people about it. That's why I'm like, I definitely, if I could do this, anyone can do it. I'm the least likely person to do this. So I went to CNN when I was 21, CNBC when I was 25, anchored the morning show, Bloomberg, talked to a whole bunch of old rich white dudes about money. And then I was like, I want to talk to the audience that needs it most, which is us. Wow. There is a skill innate in all this, whether you say that you learned uh, how to talk the money language of grit, of like, what is that mental capacity to navigate things? Was it, you think you were born with it or was it circumstantial that you were just like, oh, I can fake it till I make it or I can, oh, I see what to learn and then attack it? I didn't have a fallback plan ever. And so I didn't have like a couch to go home to if I failed. So it wasn't an option. And, you know, I'm still fearful of being broken homeless. That's like the story I tell myself in my head. It's not going to happen. But I think it's that fear that drives me that I remember what it's like to not have. I mean, people think I have like I grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. It couldn't be farther from the truth. Like I barely had a spoon with food in my mouth growing up. And so for me, like I, I've seen death in its eye, like I've seen the worst of humanity, like, and I know now that anything else is gravy. Like I was destined to be a crack whore in an alley, basically with the hand I was dealt and I played it the best I could. Wow. And you're positive, like, like some people will take a victim approach, right? Which is totally valid to feel that way. But I think you took it and you said, fuck this shit. I'm going to make something of myself and like kill it. You know, studies show that women who create cohesive narratives for themselves and their lives are more likely to be successful. They did this in a battered women's shelter. And it took me a really long time to be able to tell that story succinctly. And before I would say like the other half of the story that was also true. My, you know, my mother was an actress. My father was a doctor. Like that is true too. But, you know, the more I become vulnerable, especially with talking about money, the more others feel the license to do the same. But somebody has to go first. Yep. And so let it be me. Okay. Tell me about the books you've written and why did you choose those subjects at those times? So when I was uh, on business news for so long, I you know, realized that the people I was talking to were the richest, most powerful dudes. And that's like Nielsen. That's not me editorializing in the country. And I wanted to talk to my former self, that girl who was smiling and nodding and not joining basic money conversations because she was too freaked out. You know, my boyfriend in high school said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager, and I thought he wanted to be in gardening. <laughs> like, this is not a joke. And he actually dumped me because I couldn't hang out with his Wall Street friends. And then I went on CNBC and they wanted to hang out. <laughs> and so crazy. felt like the brunette uh, L. Woods. Uh, I'm laughing last and I feel good about it. And so I didn't have a guide when I was going through this process. I did like a hodgepodge thing. I reached out to tutors. I read all the books I could. And I thought that there was a white space in this market. And I saw a lot of awesome financial experts, but the advice that they were giving wasn't resonating with me. It was like, buy a house, don't buy a latte. I'm like, mm, I 
there's a better way to do this. And so I took a big swing, like rich bitch, that's an aggressive title. Like it either could have failed miserably or like hit the list right away, which it did the latter, thankfully. And it became- The New York Times bestselling author list is the list (laughs) that Nicole is humbly referring to everybody. That you're going to be on? I better be on it. Obviously. Because I signed a book to you. <laughs> was I not supposed to say? I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's like a release where you're supposed to say I did a book deal, but I did one. Yay! But thanks to you. Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's go back to you. So you wrote Boss Bitch, Rich Bitch, Rich Bitch, and then Boss Bitch, and they're all about what? If you want to pick them up and read them, what are they? What is like the? Yeah. So Rich Bitch is a twelve step plan to get your financial life together, and the first step is admitting you have a problem because I have so many. I have more issues than Vogue. And then it became successful and it still sells to this day, um, which I think is probably what I'm most proud of. Because after all of like the marketing and the press tour and stuff like that, I think that people telling their friends about it is like that je ne sais quoi thing. And Boss Bitch happened two years after that. And then my third book is happening two years after that. I definitely didn't think I would be an author. You know, it's funny. I actually did want to be a writer. Um, I started as an English major a million years ago. And then I thought, oh, maybe like writing poetry under a tree is not the best way to pay your bills. And so starting out in journalism at $18,000 a year also wasn't the most amazing choice, but I worked my way up there. And I always wanted to be a writer. And I ended up being a writer, just not the kind I expected. And so I think when people say, go out and do what you love, like YOLO, FOMO, burn your corporate bra, I didn't have that luxury. And so I figured out how to love what I did not the other way around. And what emboldened you to finally take that leap and leave your your cushy, you know, comfortable, I'm not saying cushy in a bad way, but like you did well, you were successful. And like you said, you didn't have that thing to fall back on. So what made you go, all right, this is, it's time. Uh, I wanted to be an anchor on CNN for as long as I could remember. I was interviewed by these little newspapers and I said, if I could say Nicole Lapp in CNN before I die, I'll die a happy woman. And I wasn't ready to die at 21 when I got there, which is high class problems like to reach goals earlier because I got into this mode, which you may relate to, of thinking that I would be successful, thinking that I would be happy when I was successful or a certain level of success. And so when I got there, all of a sudden the bar just got kept getting higher and higher. And so no longer was it being an anchor on Cena and it was then like a CNBC and then it was one book and then it was two. And I never got my brain to the other side of happiness until hopefully recently. How? I had a complete breakdown. Um, Right after I launched Boss Bitch, I completely had a physical, mental, emotional burnout and breakdown and an emergency hospitalization. Oh. Yeah. Like your body just failed? Yeah, I, you know, I had that lifetime of self-prescribing work and keep like just it never was enough. And it finally caught up to me. And from the outside, you can see that I was like this badass boss bitch telling other women how to be badass. And I was like in the psych ward and I hit my own personal rock bottom. And then I needed to figure out how to get out of there. And so that's why I call my third book Becoming Superwoman is because when I needed a hero, I had to become one. Oh, my gosh. I just got the chills. Mm -hmm. So how did you do that? Because I'm sure there's been a 
like a lot of listeners who've felt that low or worked themselves that hard or like reached that moment. I think if I were admitting it, I probably having a kid saved me from that because like I had to stop, right? I had to be like, there's a human here. So that was like a self-imposed person. But what, how, yeah, how? You know, the psych ward was the great equalizer. There was like CEOs and homeless people. And it was the best and worst place I've ever been in my life. And it forced me to rethink everything. Like, I don't want to go back there ever, ever, ever. And so I went on this journey over two years to figure out how to go from burnout to balance. And so that's what the book is about. It's going through all of the stuff that people say will help you. I did it myself, and I tried to talk about it in plain English in the way that I did rich bitch and boss bitch. And my overall thesis comes back to money. So I didn't go into like the woo-woo self-help section. I think that self-care is the biggest asset or liability in your career. Like nothing's going to affect your career more, whether you go to networking events or email in the middle of the night than if you're in the hospital. Like I had to cancel everything. Like when you don't prioritize or put any time into self-care, it will demand all of your time if you're in that situation like I was. So when you say asset and liability, those are two financial terms that you just used. Yeah, I did. But you said, but how how have you taken those terms and shift them into self-care? I realized that when your emotional wellness, which I think is a combination of emotional intelligence and mental wellness, which I think is the ultimate secret to success um, and actually brought me more success than I imagined than grinding and hustling hard. When it's off, it will bring you to rock bottom. And when it's on point, it will make you soar more than you ever imagined. So that's why I think it's the biggest asset or liability. And I think we try to be all things to all people. And if you do that for too long, you're nothing to yourself. And they don't say put your oxygen mask on first before helping others just to fill time before takeoff. How did you figure out on this journey what worked and what didn't? And does what you're saying in the book work for everybody? So Like my other books, I did this as a 12-step plan. It's kind of choose your own adventure as well. Um, And the first step is, yes, admitting you have a problem. And I needed to confront my problems head on. And what I found was the diagnosis of PTSD. And I didn't even know that was a thing that, like, you could get without going to war. But it is legit. And it helped me put a label on what was going on. And once I did that, I could confront it. You know, for so long, I was on this big kick that we should learn financial literacy in school. Like, it drives me crazy that we learn such bullshit things like geometry and... Thank you. Like, who needs calculus? How to dissect a frog? Like, nobody. No. And we don't need to know how to open up animals. Like, I wish someone... I always tell people the most valuable class I took in high school was typing. Because now I can type without looking at the keyboard and I can type real fast. But everything else, it's a wash. Totally. And so I always thought that if we could do your business plan or taxes or a budget or whatever, that would be so much more valuable. And so I went into this financial literacy world. I launched these online classes and I tried to like do something about it. And then in the last couple of years, I've also changed my mind slightly that self-care and like mindfulness, emotional regulation, these basic skills that I ended up learning out of necessity should also be taught in school. Because I think that nothing will affect your career more if you cannot, you know, pause before sending a crazy email and we've all been there, then that's going to really affect you. And so the skills that I learned were 
simple but not easy. Um, And I went from there to every retreat on the planet, like equine therapy to Bali to all the different healers all around the world. And I went on this adventure to like hack happiness and hack productivity. Hi, guys. I hate to interrupt this episode, but I have to do an ad and it's for myself. I love doing this podcast. I love interviewing these women. So what I'm asking you to do is support me. If you are in the market for a beautiful bag or some wonderful apparel or shoes, buy Rebecca Minkoff. And if you need to buy a gift for someone, think of me. It always helps. It keeps the business going. And I would love to see you wearing your beautiful Rebecca Minkoff products. You can hashtag BuyRM. And thank you for the support. So for those who might be listening who are like, oh, that must be nice that she could afford to go on the on the journey. How did you how did you do that? How did how do you deal with telling others like this is how it all comes together? So I actually wrote everything down that I learned. I've totally recognized that I'm lucky enough to be able to afford those things. And so I did an ebook that just basically gives the cliff notes of everything that I learned there. Um, so you don't have to pay for it. And or you don't need a, pa- a passport or your wallet for it. And I, you know, wanted to break down into very simple steps. So in Rich Bitch and Boss Bitch, I talk about the three F's of goal setting. So coming up with goals in family, finance, and fun. And so breaking those down into one, three, five, seven, ten 10-year goals, because little chunks make them easier to reach and wrap your head around. And I, in this book, like have a mea culpa. I forgot an F word, and that is fitness. And that's not just physical fitness, but it's emotional and mental fitness too. And I think it's so important to figure out where you want to go and then reverse engineer to figure out how to get the money and the tools to get there, because otherwise it makes you feel more out of control. You know, balance looks different for all of us at different points in our lives. Maybe that girl who's in front of her desk working away is like, she's prioritizing work right now and that's okay. And in five years, it's going to look different. So I came up with a point system where you give yourself 10 points for the day. Um, And I have a journal that goes along with it. And you write down what your goals are and what your to-do list is. And sometimes it's really cathartic to cross everything off your to-do list, right? I love crossing it off. I'll even add it just so I can cross it off. (laughs) I actually created like a have-done list. And so that makes me, at the end of the day, feel so much better because otherwise I look at my to-do list and it's like longer than my credit card bill. <laughs> and I I figured that not everything needed to be done to reach my goals that day. Some things could be thoughtfully procrastinated. You know, I like to rethink everything, especially conventional financial wisdom. And so when people think that, well, being selfish is a bad thing or procrastinating is a bad thing, it's actually not true. I think you can really connect the dots between what you're wanting to do and what you have to do. And then with intention, do those things first. And so I came up with this, you know, idea that the lady justice work-life balance thing like drove me crazy. I, I, just couldn't hear it anymore. It's, you know, it's almost like you have two bowls and lady justice and it's like your work life and your personal life. It's like, no, it's your one life. If you're not happy in one part, you're not going to be happy in general. And like a superwoman or a boss bitch has way more than just two things that they're balancing. (laughs) They have a whole bunch. So I came up with this little pie chart 
And you can, you know, have whatever categories you want. Mine include, um, you know, career and friends and um, emotional wellness and all of that. And so, you know, as as a boss bitch, you have a side hustle. You have a a bunch of different things. And so what are you going to say? Like 37% goes to my side hustle. No. And so the points actually was sort of a sneak attack finance thing, because if you just add a zero at the end of it, it does have, it becomes the percentage. I love that. I love how passionate I, I never thought of the whole, there are, yes, it's not just work and life. Right. Right. We have so many other things going on. Totally. And like, it's, it seems like it's siloed. I mean, some of the work stuff you do, right, is is fun and vice versa. Totally. Like it's a smush together. I know. It's like Play-Doh. <laughs> it's like Play-Doh. <laughs> Life is like Play-Doh, Rebecca. What would you say to the women who are listening who want to take those next steps, but they're fearful or are scared to go be bold into something? Because you've done that many, you know, and then documenting this recent journey that you've had. Yeah, I think the idea that coming up with what, whether it's balance or success or whatever, looks like to you and stop changing the goalpost when you get there. And so when people say to me, like, I'm off budget or I'm off balance, I'm like, do you even have a budget? Like, do you even have a definition of balance? Because we feel so frantic all the time. Like, we look at Instagram and we think somebody else has it way more figured out than we do. Like, they are crushing mom life and work life and, you know, all the things. Or we compare ourselves to the, you know, best versions of each of those categories, like a fitness model and like this badass CEO. And we just want to be the, like the equivalent of all of those things. Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I am suffering from that very thing right now. And nobody else has your specific set of circumstances. Nobody has like your life to figure out. And you can, I think you can have it all. You just can't do it all. And I think that's a really important difference. And leaning so far into everything will make us fall over. It did for me. Like, I tried to work harder, lean into everything. And, you know, like Michelle Obama said, like, that shit don't work sometimes. And so figuring out what the definition of it all means to you. Like, what does that actually look like? And then hold yourself accountable to that, because when it feels out of control, look at, like, what your definition is, not just feeling, you know, like everything's falling apart and you're never getting anywhere and you're not reaching your goals. It's like, okay, hold on. Like, you win this game because you write the rules. And so you're destined to to win and you define what having it all means. Love that. What would we be surprised to know about you other than what? All the things I just told you. (laughs) Outside of that. Bearing my soul. Um, I am an introvert. There is no way you're an introvert. So I'm like an extroverted introvert or introverted extrovert. I don't know. Like I paid a lot of money to my shrink to tell me that. And so, uh, yeah, I like don't want to be necessarily. And when I'm on, I'll be on on TV or you know, but I had this whole discussion with my um, awesome team that helps me with social media and stuff like that. They're like, do videos where you're saying like, hey, guys. I'm on my blah, blah, blah. And so I did one on the way here, actually, um, where I was talking about the Rebecca Minkoff clothes I'm wearing and the boyfriend jacket. And, you know, my boyfriend just dumped me. So um, I know it's like the worst when it all happens together. So I I just put like a little poll. I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, Rebecca, does the boyfriend jacket equal you have a boyfriend? Can it double <laughs> as the boyfriend? But that stuff is so hard for me. Like it doesn't feel natural to me at all. I will say this. It gets easier, but I feel like the people that do it really well have 
a huge love of themselves in a way that I personally like they're just really self-satisfied with themselves that I'm I'm always overly critical. And so like I can never get comfortable in the same way you are. Maybe that means I'm a secret introvert too. Yeah, but girl. I feel like people that are really good at it, like they love themselves in a way that maybe is unhealthy. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I... Because it's like me, 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 and me, and more of me. I know. You know, and I'm just like, no, I, I don't know. Same. That's my opinion. I need like a shot of vodka or something before <laughs> I do it, for sure. Yeah, I'm not an expert in, you know, going into this in self-love at all. Like, I, I, you know, didn't study the brain. I didn't study finance. I just figured it out the hard way. Um, and I probably was more of an expert in self-hate, which made me probably the right person to tell this story. And the book was supposed to come out in March. And I'm like super you know, wanted to be organized. Like every two marches, it's going to come out. And that's just how it's going to be. And nobody knew that besides my OCD brain. And and then I was close to relapsing. I felt like I got cocky. I learned all these balance things and productivity hacks. And I figured out my schedule. And I um, did all the things in the book. And then I kind of, you know, Stop doing gratitude journal. I stopped doing all of these things. And I felt like a total imposter. I was like, I'm about to go promote a book about balance. And I feel like my life is hanging in it. Or I'm about to talk about burnout. And I feel like I'm on the verge of it again. Wow. And I literally went, um, I went away and I locked myself um, in like this house in Tucson, and which I love so much. And I finished the book and I actually went back and read every step of it. And I realized that I'm the writer, but I'm also a lifelong learner and reader. And you have to be because balance can be used as a noun and a verb, right? But I I don't think you find it. It's like hanging out underneath the couch like hide and seek. No, you have to do things to keep it in equilibrium. Totally. Yeah. Every day, like every damn day. Yep. And so a lifetime of shitty habits can only like I didn't have I didn't practice the good ones for long enough right only a lifetime is long enough well yeah it's like holding your stomach muscles and you have to be really aware of that is that a kegel thing (laughs) (laughs) no you got to do that too but like if you just let your stomach muscles out because it's easier they'll just be weak and they'll stick out and people will ask you on the subway if you'd like a seat. No way. Yes. Is that my problem? I'm just <laughs> letting it all hang out. I'm just saying with you got to keep the, you got to hold it in in the way that you got to hold in. I'm just trying. It was a poor analogy. No, it's good. I apologize. We just, we need emotional spanks maybe. Yes. Yes. But you are the spanks. You, you are don't get spanks. to put them on. That is true. Become the spanks. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. This, th- you've given a lot of really incredible advice in our short 30 minutes. Is there an overarching, the magnum opus of advice that you have not yet given us of just what you've learned or someone taught you or what you've discovered on your journey? Yeah, I, well, I think that being a superwoman and having a space in between it, like we started with my tat that's on my arm um, with this single needle fancy tattoo artist, the space allows for the woman. And so I think the idea of trying to be superwoman all the time and like saving everybody else and doing all the things is really crushing us. And I think we're at a tipping point where there hopefully is going to be some correction to this like lean in rhetoric 
And I think we have to help each other do that. And so just I want to be a super woman. Like I want to be a woman's woman. I want to be just like a great person. And that's so different than the character who, you know, tries to be all things to all people and like, you know, also looks super hot in a bustier while saving the world. Like I can't do that anymore. I'm spent. And so I did a bunch of studies around burnout and found that women are on the verge of burnout or breakdown to like 80 something percent levels, which is crazy. And yet only 50 percent of us think that that's a problem, which is the pace is they think it's sustainable and it's not. And so there is a difference between swimming and not drowning. And I feel like being in a constant state of not drowning is not swimming. It's totally. not the same. I think it'll change. And I, and I try and look at it with perspective of We've only been in the workforce truly, truly, let's say the last 75 years of them being generous and only it started becoming more in view of being equal. We're still not there, but like, let's say the last 25. And so I think all the things that we're also hitting is like structures that were put in, not in an evil way, but men happen to put them in and like that doesn't work for us. And so we're going to have, it's like our generation that's going to rewrite the rules, right? And change it so that we're not drowning. Let's do it, girl. Okay. Let's rewrite those rules. <laughs> I'm ready. Where where do we buy your books? What podcast of yours do we listen all the, to? All the things. Um, yeah, you buy the book everywhere the books are sold. And Nicole Lappin on all places social media is sold. And I'm going to do my best. A, a positive encouragement would be awesome to try and like put myself on the the live thing or videos and stuff like that. I went, I did a live recently, live Instagram, and I was like, hey, please help me. Like, just cheer me on a little bit because this is actually really tough for me. I don't know what you guys want to see. It's very vulnerable. And you have a podcast, right? I have a podcast with Jason Pfeiffer, who is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And so it's called Hush Money, which is all the taboo stuff that nobody wants to talk about with Hush Money. And we had this amazing guest on who talked about working in a family business and working with her brother. It was amazing. It's like going to break the internet. Can't wait. Can't wait to hear that. (laughs) Thank you. That was Nicole Lappin. You can follow her at Nicole Lappin and definitely buy her new book, Becoming Superwoman, wherever books are sold. 